Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today I have a really exciting show for you, a very, very interesting story, um, a story that hasn't gotten as much uh, press probably in the United States as it has all around the world, uh, which perhaps makes it even more interesting. And um, this is a story about a... Um, Suspected terrorist, his name is Rayed Mohammed Abdullah Ali, and uh, he was recently, um, actually May 29th, arrested in New Zealand and deported on May 30th, or allegedly deported on May 30th, to Saudi Arabia. And um, I have as my guest today the man, Captain Ravindra Singh, who is the chief flight instructor of the Manawatu District Aero Club in New Zealand, and he is um, a man who was the flight instructor for this suspected terrorist, of course, unbeknownst to him at the time. And um, this story has now developed into one of increasing international intrigue, uh, and Captain Ravindra Singh has become an international celebrity of sorts. His background is also in military intelligence. He's a former Indian Air Force officer trained in intelligence. So this makes it all the more interesting that um, uh, Mr. Ali uh, did not know, presumably, who he was getting into the hands of when he went to the flight school at um, Manawatu. But um, obviously this was a man who um, would be perhaps more suspicious of him than someone who did not have a background in intelligence. And now um, Captain Singh is going to uh, tell us about his experiences from the beginning of the story to, I guess, the you're still in the news <laughs> as of this weekend even, and uh, to the continuation of this story, which must be um, a roller coaster ride for you of sorts. Welcome to the show. Hi, good afternoon, and uh, it is early morning here in New Zealand. Yes. Thank you very much for <laughs> asking me to speak to you. Yeah, please go ahead. Uh, I will be happy to answer any question that you want to ask me. Well, thank you for joining us because, um, you know, I think not only uh, is your story interesting in itself, but I think also there are some lessons that could be learned from that as far as um, just all of us and some of the things that perhaps we might um, look out for or, or just, you know, sort of a lesson that we should all or lessons that we should all be aware of as we need to be increasingly aware of what's going on in the world in terms of uh, potential terrorist acts. Um, why don't you just start from the beginning for, with uh, Mr. Ali's um, 
Because I, I must tell you, I've, I've been doing research into the story, obviously, before I invited you to be on the show, and there are different, the newspapers have different accounts in regard to, for example, um, when he came to New Zealand. I should give a little background before we go into that story as to um, who this man is, uh, or at least who he's suspected to be. Um, Rayad Mohammed Abdullah Ali was... Um, one of the men who was mentioned in the 9-11 report, the 9-11 Commission report, he was named 13 times, although he was named there as Rayed Abdullah, slightly different name. Um, He is purportedly the friend, or was, purportedly the friend and roommate in Arizona of the 9-11 hijacker, Hani Hanjour. He was the pilot Hani Hanjour was the pilot of the American Airlines Flight 77 that crashed into the Pentagon. And also, before it crashed, um, Hani had murdered some of the crew members uh, before he took, or as he was taking over the plane. He is Saudi Arabian. Um, they also purportedly knew each other in Florida and Arizona in the late 1990s when they were taking flying lessons. Um, and... Uh, Apparently, and you can sort of comment on this because, again, I'm, uh, this is sort of the compilation of the reports, but sometimes they get these things wrong. Um, apparently, Rayad Mohammed Abdullah Ali, the man who then went to New Zealand, um, already held a United States private pilot's license because of his training here. He had 79 hours of flying time in his logbook before he went to New Zealand. And he reportedly went to New Zealand after 9-11 when there was a security crackdown. Um, and he was investigated, he was spoken to, but he was not charged. And he found it impossible to continue flight training in the United States, so he apparently went to New Zealand. That is just, he's 28 years old, uh, he, he's from um, Yemen, and then his family originally, or he had a Yemeni passport, and his family currently lives in Saudi Arabia, where his father is in the textile business. Um, he was, as I said, recently deported from New Zealand when the New Zealand government decided that he was a threat to New Zealand national security. And um, that's the background of uh, Rayad Mohammed Abdullah Ali. And now, <laughs> Captain Singh, why don't you take it away, since you obviously know a lot more about the story once he got to New Zealand. Okay, um, as you, you have already given some background about him. Uh, well, he came to New Zealand sometimes in uh, January this year for three months English language course at Auckland. And uh, actually his English is very good. He has lived in USA for a couple of years, and there is absolutely no problem in his English. But I believe he wanted to do the flying uh, training in a school in Middle East, and they asked him for a formal English qualification. I wanted and to ask you about that. Um, why is it that to take, he's from the Middle East, why is it that to take flying lessons in the Middle East you need to speak English? English is an international language for aviation, and uh, one should be good in uh, English if, if you want to be a pilot or anything to do with flying. Mm. And all, in most places, um, we don't insist on a formal English uh, language uh, qualification as long as we see that the person can speak English and he can understand English, it is fine. But this is cool in Middle East. From what 
uh, I could see was that they did not have enough number of instructors and they were not in a position to enroll many students. Mm. So I think they were just finding an excuse to uh, to tell the students that at this stage uh, there was no place for them. And that's what I think um, happened to him. So he was uh, told to get a formal English language um, certificate uh, from somewhere. And obviously the only places where he could get that was either in USA, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, or some such Western country. So I believe what he told me was that he had again applied for a visa to go to USA, but it was being under consideration, and he had also applied for a visa uh, to come to New Zealand to do his uh, English course and get a certificate from here. So he came to Auckland, and while he was here doing his English language course, he also sent an email to a couple of flying schools here. And I think he, he made it quite clear in that, that he holds a license from USA, and he has got about uh, 80 hours of flying, and he's looking forward to do a little bit more flying while he's in New Zealand. So that was uh, nothing very unusual. Uh, I also received the email, uh, like other flying schools, and I believe he had visited uh, a couple of schools in Auckland region, but uh, most people there, they just got suspicious, and uh, they reported to immigration, and no one sort of entertained him. Whereas um, I don't uh, unnecessarily suspect anyone. I, I have an open mind. So I actually suggested to, to him that uh, why don't you come here, meet me, so that I can see who you are and what you want to do, and you can uh, see our place, and then we'll go from there. So he took a night uh, bus on 1st of April, and he came down here, and that's the day I met him. He came and sat down, and uh, we had a very, very long uh, chat and he explained to me his background, and that background, you already have said something, but I will tell you what he had told me. Uh-huh. And obviously, I had a look at his logbook, I had a look at his passport and various things, just to cross-check. Uh, although, as I said, that I'm a trained intelligence person, I I have an open mind. I don't necessarily presume that someone is uh, a real threat or someone may be absolutely innocent, so I have an open mind. So whatever he said, I sat down and I went through his logbook and I asked some questions and all uh, the details that I wanted to ask him. Now, what I could say was that he had a Yemeni passport and he said that uh, his father is Yemeni national, his mother is Saudi Arabian, and it is quite common in that part of the world for these people to live in each other's country and still maintain their original passport. So... He was born and brought up in Saudi Arabia. Practically had nothing to do with Yemen, but he still had the Yemen passport. His father had a textile business. At one time, he was doing quite well, but uh, after the Gulf War in uh, early 1990s, uh, he suffered. his business suffered quite a lot, and uh, he lost some money. But then slowly again, he built up his business, and uh, he sent his two sons, Riyadh and his younger brother to USA for education. Now his younger brother is still in USA and I believe he has either become a US citizen or he is in the process of becoming a citizen. Hmm. And uh, this gentleman, Riyadh, he went to USA in 1997. He says his childhood dream was to become pilot. And he went to USA uh, to take some flying lessons and his visa at that time was for flying lessons. 
Now, it's only now that I've heard that he went to Florida. I really don't know about that. All I know is from the logbook what I saw was that he was in a school um, very close to Phoenix. That means he didn't do any flying in Florida. He did all his flying in Phoenix. That is what I saw in the logbooks. And he said um, he actually started to fly, I think, on the 15th of uh, November in 1997. And he did some flying there uh, for about two or three months. And interestingly, I noticed that uh, the instructor name was also a Muslim name. Mm. So I just casually asked him, I said, who was this instructor that uh, you were flying with? So he said... Uh, He's, uh, he's an American citizen, but uh, he, he was from Sudan, a Sudan, Sudanese Arab, and uh, an American citizen, and he was a flying instructor in a school in that area, not in the school, not in the school in which he was, but he was somewhere in that area. In, in and area? in his school... In, in, yeah, what, he, in what area? In, in uh, Phoenix area, uh-huh. because there, there are probably a number of schools, you know, yeah. around that place. Now, he had a couple of other students who were training uh, as uh, flying students, and this um, instructor was kind of freelancing in that area. So these uh, students got together, and uh, they sort of asked him if he can do some flying with them and do some ground classes. So that's what uh, this uh, instructor, he was flying with these persons. And and he told me that later on this instructor, he got hired by the American uh, airline or uh, one of the airlines in USA. So I I suppose he's still there. So nothing very suspicious about this. I mean, it is normal. We can't suspect anyone just because he's a Muslim or just because he's an Arab or just because uh, he's a Christian or just because he's a Hindu. I I don't have that kind of attitude. But I was just very casually talking to him. So I I said, yeah, that makes sense that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm an Indian, and uh, it is quite natural if I have a couple of other Indian um, boys, we will all get together, and if there is an Indian instructor, probably we will be more comfortable mm-hmm. with him. So it's mm-hmm. it's nothing very uh, unusual. At that point. Okay, well, we need to take a break right now, but um, when we continue, we'll, uh, when we come back, we'll continue talking with my guest, Captain Ravindra Singh. He's the Chief Flight Instructor at the Manawatu District Aero Club in New Zealand, where uh, he gave flying lessons to a man who is now suspected of being a terrorist. We'll continue with this very interesting story when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m., and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces Comedy Beer Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably gotten you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff Bell with Ralph's No Holds Barred approach with LA Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. Education, health care, environmental protection, the war in Iraq, taxes, poverty, abortion, the economy, crime, social security. It's all around us. What are the key issues? How does it affect you? Whether you stand to the left of the political aisle or to the right, Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner is your platform for straight political talk without an agenda. Melanie, one of the top Democratic strategic communications experts in the country, and her guests, political staffers and consultants behind the elected officials, as well as arts and entertainment icons, discuss the issues relevant to our day-to-day lives. Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner, broadcast each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Channel. Don't just sit there. Make Your Point. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today with a very fascinating guest uh, who sort of has inadvertently become the center of international attention because um, he is... Uh, his name is Captain Ravindra Singh. He's the chief flight instructor at the Manawatu District's Aero Club in New Zealand. And he um, has given flight lessons to Riyadh Mohammed Abdullah Ali, who is um, a suspected terrorist, although, um, of course, that was unbeknownst um, to Captain Singh when he first met him and, and uh, was involved with him. Um, and it's really fascinating to hear this story about your own, because also if uh, Captain Singh has a background in military intelligence, so it's really fascinating to hear, you know, how you processed all of this, how you evaluated him and, and did what you did. So when, before we uh, took a break, you were talking about how on, was it April 1st, that that... Yeah, that's right. On 1st of April, um, I... Sort of, uh, I met him when he came here and we sat down. I went through the logbook and I checked his license in medical and I had a nice, nice chat with him. And that is the time he told me about his family background and his uh, time in USA where he did some flying. And as I said, that I saw one of the instructor's name as um, a Muslim sounding name. So I just casually asked him, I said, uh, who was this person and what did he do? And he told me that this is uh, one of the instructors there and I think he is now flying for one of the airlines in USA. Now, that's quite normal, and I think it is. Uh, there is nothing to suspect on that. Um, so I continued. I said, okay, when did you fly last? And he flew last was in June 2001. I said, so what happened after that? Why didn't you fly? Obviously, after September 11, he said everybody's flying was stopped. His flying was also stopped. All the licenses were sort of put on hold, and he couldn't continue his flying. So I said, um, what do you suspect, uh, by FBI or something? He said, no, I was still in USA. Only thing is... That the flying was stopped and he couldn't fly, so he went to live with his uh, brother for a few months, and he volunteered to contact FBI in 
Arizona hmm. and uh, every I talked to him and uh, you know whatever they wanted to know from him and um, they talked to him few times but in the end this they had nothing against him and he was free to go and uh, after spending few months in USA when he realized that there is no chance of his continuing flying his father asked him to come back to Saudi Arabia because he was not in a position to keep sending money uh, for him while he was uh, just in a way wasting his time in USA so he went back to Saudi Arabia i think it was uh, probably early 2002 that he went back and he helped his father in his business then he said that um, his his heart was always in flying and he wanted to become a commercial pilot in one of the middle east airlines it could be saudi arabia or uh, emirates so he tried to go to flying school in middle east one of the flying schools and that is where he was told that uh, uh, first of all they were short of instructors and they said that it will take time for them before they can start his flying training but they also told him that he will be required to give to get his english language proficiency certificate from somewhere which is not available in middle east i suppose so that is how he applied for new zealand visa he came to new zealand and uh, he was here for 3 months doing his english course but while he was here he also wanted to have a look around and some of the flight schools in new zealand to see their facilities their price structure and whether it was possible for him to get his commercial license in new zealand so from my point of view i said in theory it should not be a problem i mean if you have money and if you have um, if you have nothing against you from the police or immigration authorities i said why not as a, um, as like any other student you should be able to enroll yourself in a proper uh, flying training school and get your commercial license if everything is all right but that was not up to me because it was just a casual conversation thereafter he he said that um, or rather i i asked him i said you have not flown at all since uh, 2001 i said no i because there is no place where i can fly so i said you want to come and fly with me he was thrilled so i took him in cessna aerobat aircraft flew for about an hour with him and showed him some aerobatics because he had never done aerobatics in his life and um, i saw his uh, flying actually his flying surprising his flying was reasonably good considering the fact that he had not flown for so many years mm-hmm. his radio calls his english in the air and his uh, handling of the aircraft everything was good so then we came back and he really he was uh, extremely thankful to me for giving him a chance to fly the aeroplane and he says captain thank you so much uh, i feel so nice now that uh, you know because flying is always in my dreams and i always wanted to become a pilot i have got a chance to fly this aeroplane after so many years and he says frankly speaking nobody trusts him the moment uh, he goes to somebody and talks about flying everyone becomes suspicious and i was the first person in a way who didn't really suspect and i even took him for flying mm-hmm. so he was extremely thankful and he says he would like to come and do some more flying with me later on as soon as he finishes his course in uh, Auckland I said you're welcome we'll see so he went back to Auckland in the meantime um some government officials uh, visited our uh, club here and they casually inquired about him now i need not ask them direct question as to who they were and what they were i mean i knew exactly what it was It means people were keeping an eye on him and i told them indirectly i said Don't you worry I will be very careful I will keep an eye and should I find anything suspicious or anything I will I will uh, let you know and in the meantime I will be careful that's all I mean 
I don't suspect anyone. At the same time, keep an uh, keep an eye in the sense that keep your eyes and ears open. That's all. I mean, frankly speaking, it could be a local New Zealander uh, who could go crazy and he can yes. just uh, do anything crazy. We don't know. Just because he's from a different nationality, different religion, doesn't mean that you should become suspicious. But anyway, I thought I'll keep an eye and I'll see if I can find something interesting. Then later on, or I think it was 25th of April, that he shifted from Auckland. He came here and uh, he had just enough money, uh, which you would expect from anyone from a middle class. He didn't have uh, too much of money. And that is another thing. If somebody belongs to an organization which is bent upon doing something, I think they have plenty of money. This man didn't have. He had just about four or five thousand dollars, four or five thousand New Zealand dollars. And he wanted to enroll in another school in Palmerston North to get his certificate. What had happened was that in Auckland, he was in the school, but the school people probably missed on the fact that to get the certificate, they need to fill up the form at least one or two months in advance which they did not do, and this fellow did not know. So I wa- he was in the school, but actually he did not get a chance to appear for the formal examination. I think it is done by the British Council or something. So in other words, he came here for the certificate, but he still did not get a chance to uh, do the examination for that certificate. So that is why he came down to Palmerston North, and once again he enrolled, or rather he applied to enroll for the English school, mm-hmm. where he was supposed to pay that $4,000 in advance. And this time he said that he will fill up the form in advance and get his certificate, uh, English language certificate. So in other words, he didn't have enough money for flying and um, also uh, looking for an apartment was an expensive thing. I actually offered, I had two or three rented apartments where I have some uh, international students as my tenants. So I offered him uh, a place in one of the apartments and partly because I just wanted to keep an eye as to see who he is and what he does and um, I gave him an apartment I did not actually take any rent from him because I knew that he did not have money and he said that uh, he will be getting money from his uh, father in few days time and that is correct he actually got another four or five thousand dollars from his father in about um, I think around about first week of May and he used to come to the club and um, learn his ground lessons like uh, navigation, metrology, and various other subjects which he's expected to pass for his commercial license. And in, in between, once in a while, I gave him a chance to fly, and every time he flew, um, I actually gave him a chance to fly with different instructors also. Every time he flew, everyone came back uh, saying that he's very good, he's, he was uh, very polite, he was a good student, actually. And what I noticed was that he was here with me in my one of my rented properties, and he used to be coming to the club almost every day uh, and be here for some time. What I noticed was, during this one month, and I think one month is a long time, that basically I felt that uh, basically he was a very moderate person. I had long uh, discussions with him on almost all the topics on political situation in Middle East, political situation in USA, and his views about uh, these... uh, politics, the world politics, his views about various religions, the way the names are written in uh, Middle East, because I I found out from him that uh, the Muslim system of uh, writing names uh, is slightly different in, I come from India, and Indian subcontinent has very large population of uh, Muslims, and I found that uh, the way we name Muslim names in India is slightly different than in Middle East. I mean, it was just very, very casual and normal conversation, like 
over a cup of coffee, sit down, you talk about anything. And that is the way I used to talk. In between, I also used to talk to him about his flying experience in USA with his logbook to see where he flew, whom did he fly with, and various other things. And I pointedly asked him, I said, uh, did you have any association with this 9-11 pilots? And uh, did you have anything to do with that? And then I... As you've said, that um, I have some training in these intelligence matters, and this is one of the things, you know, you take a person by surprise and just ask mm-hmm. a very direct and pointed question and ask the same question different times in different uh, ways and try and get the answer what you get. Mm-hmm. He actually, he didn't give me any any reason to suspect him because he did he did say that, yes, he knew uh, one or two guys who were involved, but uh, he also said, look, Captain, Frankly speaking, I think those people, they were crazy. They did something very stupid. So I said, what do you feel about the whole thing? Do you think that it was right or uh, do you think you... He said, no, no, it, it was definitely wrong. You know, those people, what they did, it was not correct. And and in a way, they actually spoiled my chances to become a commercial mm-hmm. pilot. So I, I feel very upset about the whole thing. I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. Hmm. So and that was just one of the things. Wow, yeah, that's interesting. Either he was... It sort of makes you wonder, was was he telling the truth or was he being incredibly cunning? Well, when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll, deep, we'll delve more deeply into that question with my guest, Captain Ravindra Singh, talking to him from New Zealand. He is in New Zealand. I'm talking to you from Los Angeles. We'll come back with Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dogs. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, our guest is Jamie Bamber. You'll know him from Battlestar Galactica. He plays Leah Dama. We talk about Battlestar Galactica and get a look inside of Jamie's life. Of course, we'll cover all the sci-fi news for the week as usual. That's Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're listening to a very fascinating story today from my guest, Captain Ravindra Singh, the Chief Flight Instructor of the Manawatu District's Aero Club in New Zealand, also a man who has a background in military intelligence, having been a former Indian Air Force officer trained in intelligence. And um, we're, he's uh, telling us this fascinating story of how what his contact and his impressions were of Rayed Mohammed Abdullah Ali, who was um, deported from New Zealand on May 30th, and then it took a while, actually, for the press to be informed of that. So why don't you continue where you left off? Oh, well, uh, Doctor, I think I will be, I will try to be brief because it's a long story and um, I don't think you have so much of time, so I'm trying to cut the whole story short. Um, when he came back to my Mr. North on around 20th of April, I gave him an apartment where he lived so that, uh, you know, and he didn't have to pay the rent in advance. So in a way, I helped him, and he was grateful to me for that. Then he used to come and sit down in our aero club and uh, did a bit of flying with me and flying with my other instructors, and uh, I, I used to talk to him because I knew that he's being watched. And I was also very keen to find out as much as I could from him if he belonged to any organization. And my impression is that after talking to him for about one month continuously on various issues, my impression is that uh, he probably did not belong to any organization. And also I know that he did not have much of uh, finances. Uh, you know, that is one of the things. Most of the people, they will have a good finance uh, support if they belong to some organization. His, his only source was from his parents. I know that because uh, he used to phone from here and a couple of faxes that I received from his father about the money matters and things like that. So he didn't have much of money. He just managed to send him another four or $5,000, out of which he was supposed to pay the rent for the apartment. He was supposed to pay for whatever flying he did with us. Uh, but interestingly, before he could pay me and that money, he was deported. So, <laughs> uh. so in a way, the money probably is still in the bank, and he did not uh, take it out. Uh, but his views on various things, on political situation, on religion, etc., they were very moderate. That's what I could gather. And I also noticed that when he used to come, he used to have um, iPod, you know, that music. I think he was fond of music. And, um, uh, you know, I, I thought he was just like any other teenager, some, a young person whose dream was to become a commercial pilot and, um, you know, um, join some airline. Now, I, I cannot understand that if someone is a real terrorist, why should he become a pilot first, take years and years to become a pilot and then do something? I mean, if someone is really a terrorist, you know it, every day in the newspaper you read, they do all kinds of things all over the world. Well, they go to the supermarkets. Wait, do you think that he already knew how to fly well enough before he took lessons from you? He had a United States private pilot's license. Did he know how to fly well enough before he took the lessons from you to be able to well, he, he, I guess he didn't know how to fly a big... I mean, was there more that he needed to learn so that he could have been a pilot of, let's say, a commercial jetliner that would fly into uh, the World Trade Center or the Pentagon or something like that? Well, before he came here, before he flew with me, his level of flying was reasonably good, quite good, in fact. 
But then the point is, at this stage, he's flying only small aeroplanes. And once he gets his commercial license, it was another 110 hours away and maybe a couple of years. And once he becomes a commercial pilot and joins some airline, then he probably will get a chance to fly a bigger aeroplane. Now, what I'm saying is, these days, the world security in the airlines is so good. There is no question of any passenger even getting into a cabin or whatever it is. So... If there is a person who is a terrorist, why should he wait all these years to first become a pilot and then try to do something, you see? Why don't we say that he is, he could be genuinely interested to become a commercial pilot and join an airline? If someone is terrorist, my, my contention is that he can find any other way to do any terrorist activities. People blow up buses, they blow up trains, they blow up supermarkets. So in this particular case, talking to him uh, continuously for so many days, I, my feeling was that he was nothing else except trying to be a genuine commercial airline pilot because he was reading the books, you know, about metrology, about navigation. Well, do you think, yeah. I mean, but of course the pilots who, and I guess I guess um, also it really didn't have to be a commercial plane like the pilots did on 9-11 because there was also this, you know, there's also um, speculation that um, certainly if a, if a man knew how to, uh, if a terrorist knew how to fly, like a crop dusting plane and could spread um, chemicals. Yeah. Yes, things like that. So I guess it wouldn't have to really be a commercial plane. But um, did he did he use did he know how to land? Did he want to know? Oh how to yes, land? of course, of course, of course. Yeah. In USA, he had done a number of uh, cross country flights from Arizona to some other places and back. You know, and he has been there. He has been flying there for five years: ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. 2000, 2001. He has been flying there for so many years at different uh, airports. Well, do you think, um, do you think that, how long have you been in, how long have you lived in New Zealand? I've lived here for six years. And I, I'm not, I've never been to New Zealand. So, it's a beautiful country. Uh, yes, I would like to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but is there, when you got there, is there any prejudice against people who are from Indian descent? Oh, no, not really. I mean, look, uh, look, I've got a number of family members living in USA. They are U.S. citizens, and I've uh, lived and worked in many countries in Africa and uh, Middle East and uh, Southeast Asia, and I've lived uh, and worked uh, with uh, people from America, from uh, European countries, USA, I mean, UK, Australia, New Zealand, etc. See, what happens all over the world, there are all kinds of people. There are, majority of people are good anywhere in the world. You will always have one or case people who are racist or who are mean, that kind of thing. That is all over the world. So I will not say that there is no incident of uh, racism or anything in New Zealand or it is very common. No, it is not that. But yes, once in a while you come across people, you know, who, who sort of uh, suddenly don't like you or they become uh, prejudiced against you just because of your race or religion. Well, the reason so, why I asked was because yeah. I'm wondering, you seem to have been so compassionate towards um, Mr. Ali, and I'm wondering if it was because, you know, you were able to understand what it's like to be sort of a foreigner in a, in a, different, in a new country or to be prejudiced against or suspected, you know, um, for no good reason, and that that was part of why you were sort of um, giving him more of a chance. Oh, well, now you, now you are talking psychiatrist. You see, you are absolutely right. <laughs> because, yes, I could understand uh, that uh, I, I had actually faced a situation where people unnecessarily don't like me or, you know. So I could see that uh, 
these days anywhere uh, in, or rather in most places you know people become suspicious of anyone uh, who is from middle east he wants to become a pilot he wants to fly in a different people unnecessarily become uh, suspicious i i think that is wrong you know you should not suspect somebody just because he is from a particular uh, reason or wants to do a particular uh, uh, line of trade or particular education kind of thing you know mm-hmm. so i was open and yes i could understand that prob- if if nobody wants to understand him then how, how can he achieve his dreams there should be someone who can help him if if he is a genuine person yes. and that's what i was trying to find out yes. that if he is a genuine person i would have known sooner or later okay and then what happened then i believe as you all know he was suddenly arrested and deported from the country and uh, rest of the things they are all with the government departments i read only whatever you all read in the newspapers because the newspaper reports are reporters have been checking up from all over the world and uh, in brief what i read in the newspapers is that they have contacted uh, FAA in uh, USA and now in last 5 6 months now they have revoked his flying license they didn't do it for so many years it's only recently they did it they have revoked his flying license uh-huh. and also he was deported but uh, people have found out that his family does not know where he is now that is i can well understand if a family doesn't know where the loved one is so what i read in the newspaper is that it is suspected that he was taken to saudi arabia handed over to the yemeni's authorities there because he had the yemen passport and the newspaper says that um, yemeni authorities uh, have declined to comment on that and his family does not know where he has gone and his brother in usa he also doesn't know where he has gone and everyone seems to be very worried in the family as to what has happened to him he seems to have vanished Now I don't know I have no comments on that because um, I don't know anything what the government agencies may be knowing and the, what the other governments are involved or not involved I have no idea and uh, I can't comment on that because this is what I have read in the newspapers Well what has this yes that part is very disturbing that no one seems to know where he's gone after uh, after he was deported on May 30th um now you said he, his license was revoked uh, I, I by the FAA 5 or 6 so it was before he came to you is i guess it's not a a custom to for flying schools to check because i guess he he didn't really have to have a license in order to take flying lessons from you did he no but on the other hand uh, when i asked him he showed me and it was a proper license and most likely it has been revoked mm-hmm. after all this uh, press coverage uh, all over they must have um, found some reason and i believe it has been revoked after that why didn't they do it in 2001 if there was anything suspicious yes mm. well now so what has this been well when we come back um i what i'd like to talk to you about is ask you about is what it's been like for you now that this story has broken because um i'm wondering whether people are are sort of you know being critical of you and how could you have given him flying lessons and why didn't you realize and you know all of that whether it's been difficult for you ever since uh this whole thing has come to light so we'll continue talking with my guest captain ravindra singh he is the chief flight instructor of manawatu district aero club in new zealand and when we come back we'll continue with the story of raed mohammed abdullah ali who right now is nowhere to be found so stay tuned you're listening to dr carol's couch and i'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman.
unlimited talk at your fingertips, voiceamerica.com. West Coast Business Review and host Amy Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week, you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific time on VoiceAmericaRadio.com. Visit our website at www.WestCoastBusinessReview.com. West Coast Business Review's Show Me the Business, connecting you to the business world. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces comedy, beer, sex appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably gotten you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff Bell with Ralph's No Holds Barred approach with LA Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on VoiceAmerica.com. The results indicate your child has neuroblastoma. There's evidence of metastasis. We need to schedule a we'll need to perform a surgery. After you hear your child has cancer, chances are you don't hear anything else. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about uh, a an event that happened in New Zealand, the deportation of Rayed Mohammed Abdullah Ali. We're talking with my guest, Captain Ravindra Singh. He is the chief flight instructor of the Manawatu District Aero Club in New Zealand, who was uh, the flight instructor for this man who was recently deported. Um, how has it been for you ever since this did come to public attention? And you've been doing a lot of interviews, but um, what has life been like for you? Have you been receiving criticism or what? Okay, before I answer that question, let me continue with what uh, I wanted to say, which I think sure. is important. You see, when he came here, and just because everyone else is suspicious of him, I, I think it is unfair to unnecessarily suspect someone. But uh, when I realized that um, uh, the authorities are keeping an eye on him, I suddenly thought that it will be interesting for me also, personally, just to see if he is a real genuine person, or maybe I can uh, find out something more from him if he belongs to some organization or something. Please remember one thing, that in your families, uh, we have uh, teenager kids. Uh, I have my own um, two daughters and one son. Now, if you are very hard on them, if you don't trust them, and uh, if you honestly criticize them and find faults and things like that, you actually turn them against you. Yeah. On the other hand, if you are friendly with them, they will trust you and they become your friends. Yeah. It's the same thing. If you're somebody who is a real genuine person, you, but if you don't trust him, and if you don't show any sort of uh, respect to him, you might uh, turn him into... 
a bad man, on the other hand, a bad person, if you show compassionate and if you are friendly and you try to explain things to him, and he might change his heart. So I don't know. I just had an open mind. I said, let me see this gentleman, and it will be an interesting case for me, a test case for me to to see what he is like. And for one month, I kept on trying to get more and more information and try to understand him. And at no stage there was any danger at all because most of the time I was personally flying with him. And, and that was a way to show the person that I care for him. And maybe he could have actually killed you in the air. and No, no way. And uh, to tell you very honestly, right on the first day I could see that he actually wanted to just fly, build his flying hours. And why should he kill me in the air? If he wanted to kill me, he could kill me on the ground. Any, anyone can do that. You know, it is so easy to kill somebody else on the ground. In USA, you have a lot of cases where people are shot on the ground. Well, yes, but I mean, I guess that's true. That's true. But I guess it you, just seems like... And it's very difficult to, uh, to you know, two pilot flying there. It's very difficult to crash the airplane just like that. Okay, well, no, now, I didn't mean to. No, I didn't mean to crash it. I meant that if he had wanted to take over the plane, um, if he felt he had learned enough from you, he could have. You, you were putting potentially putting yourself at risk, is what I'm trying no, to say. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, in any case, at least it showed him that you trusted him <laughs> by by continuing to fly with him. No, that's all right. I'm a military man, and uh, you know, uh, and. Uh, one could get killed anywhere, uh, so I, I'm not so much worried about that. But uh, let us face facts, you know. Yeah. I, I wanted to show him that, look, I trust him, and I actually did. I, I don't believe in uh, just uh, passing a judgment about somebody. Yeah. I've seen some fanatic people in all religions, and I'm telling you that it doesn't take more than a day or two uh, to find out. You know, different religions, including Hindus. I'm a Hindu. I've seen some some fanatic people, and I find it very disturbing how people could be so fanatic about their beliefs and uh, thinking that they are right and everyone else is wrong. But uh, with this man, I found no such thing. You know, for one month, um, I, I thought he was quite moderate in his views about religion, about politics, and whatever. So I didn't suspect anything. And as I said, if I had suspected something, uh, not only I would have reported to the authorities, I would have probably found out something more about it. Mm-hmm. And actually, he did pass a command um, because, as I said, that I had not charged uh, money, or rather, advance money for the apartment and uh, even for the flying lessons. And just three days before he was deported, he had received the money and he told me, he says, Captain, I'm going to the bank tomorrow and I'll bring the money and give it to you. And he said, I'm so thankful to you. You trusted me and uh, you're, you're just like my father. And, uh, you know, so I felt that whatever he was saying, he was actually meaning it when he said that. Yes. And I thought if he was here for one more month with me, I'm almost certain that if at all he was uh, from any organization or anything, I would have got some information, if not all. Yes. And uh, even now I feel that, okay, he has been deported, and um, I am what I am, chief flying instructor at the club. We get a lot of people from various countries. They come and fly, and we don't discriminate anyone. Mm-hmm. We, uh, uh, we just mm-hmm. do our job, check the flying uh, logbook, license, medical, etc. and if somebody wants to fly, we fly with everyone. I, I'm not going to tell him that just because you are from a particular region or particular part of the world, I'm not going to fly with you. No. Yes. Uh, we, we don't discriminate because I have faced situation in my life once in a while here and there when I could see that the people are biased against me. So I, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. But uh, more than that, uh, what the intelligence is, agencies know around the world in U.S., in New Zealand, etc., I won't know and I can't comment. And uh, only thing is, which I felt slightly disturbed after I read the press reports, that he shouldn't have just vanished, you know. He should be yes. given a. But he should have been given a chance to explain his side of the story. Yes. 
which number of uh, newspaper reporters are interested too but i believe they have not been able to contact him anywhere because he is not in the family and the family members say that uh, they don't know where he is okay but uh, but but how has it been for you ha- has it been hard for you since all of this has come to light and I mean, have people, because not everyone is as open-minded and, and open-hearted and to, as tolerant as you, so are there people who, who have criticized you? Uh, not really. I mean, some people who try to say something about this, and I was I, I stayed away short back. I said, look, uh, you, you don't try to tell me that I should be doing this or that. I mean, I can take my own decisions. That's uh-huh. my decision, right or wrong or whatever somebody might think. But generally speaking, people have been very curious to know like you have been probably curious to find out from me in my experience. So most of the press reporters and the TV people, they have been very curious to know as to what did I find and did I find him like this or like that. And I've been telling everyone that as far as I'm concerned, I didn't see anything suspicious. Boy, that's so interesting. I mean, I guess you must be really interested to know more about it too, to to know yes. whether, in fact, um, he was as trustworthy, you know, whether you saw sort of uh, his... I guess his best side, or or whether you yeah, saw, yeah, or whether he was just being cunning and showed you what you know what he knew would would work. I mean, I, I guess you really want to find out the truth yes, to that too. Absolutely correct. I I too I've tried to phone his uh, family uh, telephone yes. number, but I've got no response. I will be interested to find out his side of the story because, as I said to us, and he actually a couple of times he said that he he had started to trust me. And probably he meant it because I gave him flying, which nobody else was uh, willing to fly with him. I flew with him, and I let him do everything. As I said, I showed him aerobatics, and he was thrilled. He was thrilled like a child. He saw he saw aerobatics. And I didn't uh, take money for flying and didn't take money for my rent, which I said you can pay when you get the money. So all these things put together, he started to show a lot of faith in me. In fact, he will go and make a cup of tea for me and bring it to me and sit down and talk to me. He talked a lot about his family, about his personal things, which there is not enough time to talk, and I don't think we should be talking about that because he had mm-hmm. faith and trust in me. But there is a lot about his brother, sisters, father, mother, and uh, you know his area. And all. He, he talked like any other, and like any other normal person. And as a psychiatrist, you will know that um, a person has to be extremely cunning not to give anything at all. Uh, and if that was the case, then the FBI in USA should have found out. I believe they talked to him, and uh, they didn't charge him, and he had lived in USA for six years. I'm sure the authorities there, they would have found out about him. I suppose they didn't have anything against him. That is why they never charged him, and they never revoked his visa. He continued to stay in USA even after September 11. So I don't know. The whole thing can be very interesting, and on, I suppose only the time will tell the truth. But I will be very curious to know myself as to... Uh, what exactly was the truth, or what exactly is the truth? I will be also very interested uh, to know that. Yes, because uh, because you, you know, I'm sure you've read the press reports giving showing that to some people he showed a very different face than to what he showed you. Um, apparently, when he was, um, for example, in in Phoenix, um, he was is said to have been a very um, very active in the uh, giving extremist speeches at the mosque, for example, and uh, that's not the side you saw of him. You know what's also interesting to me. You mentioned that um, he spoke to you. He said that you were like a father, and I, and I wonder. You know, um, indeed, could could he have been that way in Arizona? And could your have showing 
you're having shown compassion to him in this way and in being like a father figure, could that have made him have some second thoughts? Well, I hope we do find out. In the meantime, we do need to um, close for today, but would you like to give the website address of the Mani- Manawatu uh, District Aero Club? Yeah, it is www.aeroclub.co.nz. Aero Club, A-E-R-O-C-L-U-B. So www.aeroclub.co.nz. Yes, A-E-R-aeroclub.co.nz. A-E-R-O-C-L-U-B dot C-O dot N-Z. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that's right. The the Manawatu District Arrow Arrow Club. You yeah, can look it up, right. and you can uh, <laughs> you can find our guest, Captain Ravindra Singh. I wonder if you're going to have a lot more people coming to get flying lessons from you these days. Oh, <laughs> there might be. Uh, no, I'm quite open, and um, yeah, there are, there are a number of people who come and do flying, but I can do only so much. I can't. I can't be. I'm not. <laughs> No. You've gotten too popular for your uh, for your compassion and tolerance. You've become particularly popular these days. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. It was really a fascinating story, and I hope uh, I hope that we can find out some more of these answers. And um, I think you point you you painted a very different point of view than a lot of people who are quick. Uh, perhaps too quick to jump to conclusions might be. So that was really fascinating, too. Thank you again. That's Captain Ravindra Singh from the Manawatu Districts Aero Club in New Zealand. He's the chief flight instructor. And that closes the show, Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, then. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.